0: Danny Van is a foster care survivor and a prime example of how to overcome life's obstacles. He shares his journey from a broken home to an orphanage, foster homes, blended and broken family, to an emancipated minor at seventeen and then, finally, independence striving to become a premier Elvis impersonator, entertaining audiences internationally for 45 years, and then inducted into the Elvis Presley Impersonator's Hall of Fame, you are going to love his story of never, ever giving up hope.
1: Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting,
0: I am so excited to have Danny on my show his story is I'd like to say one in a million I'm sure you have not heard anything like this before he is a survivor and I appreciate his attitude and what he is going to share with us today how he is going to motivate us and I welcome you Danny to be on never ever give up hope
2: Thank you, Carol. It's it's just an honor to be here and, and I'm thrilled.
0: That's good. Oh, it makes two of us. All right. Let's start at the beginning. So I want to hear, and I know my audience is very interested to hear about your struggles growing up.
2: So parents were um, married very young. Uh, my mother had me when she was 16. By the time she was 26, she had six kids. And uh, as the oldest, uh, I got the dubious honor of becoming the diaper changer, bottle washer, and mom's right-hand man at the age of four. And from there, uh, I learned to take care of everybody else, um, make sure they were all happy and comfortable. And as we grew up, uh, it was my job to keep everybody in line. Um, My parents' marriage at first was pretty nice. Uh, We lived in Bay City, Michigan. And um, probably about the time I turned seven or eight years old, maybe I was nine, uh, they got divorced. And there was a lot of violence leading up to the divorce. Uh, dad had a temper. He frequently broke things. Uh, Mom was Italian. So prior to the divorce, there were many, many meals that we had where we literally had tossed salads at the table because she was smaller than dad. And the only way she could defend herself was to throw things at him. Um, so we went through a lot of uh, uh, stress and trauma as as youngsters. Um, they, when they had their fights, uh, closer to the time that they got divorced, uh, mom would scoot us upstairs and we had one of those old salt shaker homes from the turn of the last century, you know, 1910 or something like that. So the stairwell to go upstairs was right off the dining room. And, uh, she had a door on there and it had a slide bolt, one of those old, you know, slide it Uh across, drop it down. So she would lock us up there uh, when the fight got too intense uh, to keep us out of harm's way. But then we got to sit on the steps and listen to the pounding flesh, listen to breaking glass, listen to the arguing. It made my siblings very upset and very sad. And, you know, you can't console them, you know, when they're that young and they're still hearing it. So we would we would hear Mom would threaten to call the police, Dad would rip the phone off the wall at, you know back when they had the phones on the wall, and uh, then all of a sudden things would go quiet we'd hear a door slam, and uh, there was nobody in the house but us, and we're locked upstairs. We went through that for for months and months and months until Dad finally packed up and left and they got divorced. Uh, mom got the house, mom got the kids. this was in the '60s um, she got Alimony of some sort, I guess. I really wasn't old enough to understand all that back then. And um she kind of decided at this point, like, hey, I'm free. You know, remember she was fifteen mm. and now she's got six kids. Now she's, you know, twenty-six and uh she's gonna start doing a little exploring. So we had a lot of babysitters. Uh, she couldn't get a, a great job back then, so she waitressed and short-order cooked, and it wasn't enough money to handle six kids. She struggled. Um, probably about a year or so later, she got remarried uh, to another sailor. Dad was from the Navy. He lasted about a year, year and a half, and couldn't handle six kids. And one night, uh, he we went someplace and came home, and he was gone. That was the last I heard of him, so from there, Mom got pretty depressed. things went downhill. Uh-huh. she farmed it farmed us out to different relatives uh, Today they call that kinship care, and so we were split up at that time. It went out to different families, but it was relatives, so we saw each other uh-huh. during holidays and stuff. Well, again, that didn't last very long. Mom finally brought us all back home. The house was just terribly in disarray and disrepair. Uh, I remember just prior to uh, her taking us to the orphanage, uh, sitting in the living room, watching TV at night, and we would see the rats. And I mean, they were as big as cats running across the floor in front of the TV. So um, we did, we did finally uh, get out of that. Um, She took us to uh, Catholic Family Services, uh, i don 't know somebody made her do it or or how it came about, uh, but we wound up being dropped off at st vincent 's home, uh, which was uh you know a children 's home we We called it orphanage How uh, old were
0: you at this point?
2: This was in nineteen sixty five I have a picture of it in my book of me and my my brother Joe, my next youngest, uh standing on the steps. One of those great big old huge institutional brick buildings, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. fifteen steps going up to the door. It was it was one of those places, and uh, so that would make me about eleven uh, in nineteen sixty five, uh, in the spring of sixty five, I was eleven. So, uh, but you know what? We came through that door and we were greeted by nuns with smiling faces. Uh-huh. There were some monks there, the brothers, uh, there was a priest, of course. And, you know, grandma, my mother's mother, uh, was just near and dear to my heart. I was her first grandson. Um, uh-huh. and so we had a very special bond and and between mom and grandma, they always took us to church, Catholic church and catechism. So when we saw the nuns, it was kind of like, okay, this isn't bad, uh-huh. you know, and we got, we all got new clothes. Uh, prior to getting there, as the oldest of six kids, I wore hand-me-downs. We ate Korean War surplus food. Wow! Right, powdered eggs, powdered milk, uh, you know, uh, uh, stinky old brick block cheese, you know, flour that came in giant bags. Uh, you know, before you got to the end of the bag, there were bugs in it. Right, you know, it's right. just it was terrible. You know, but but we managed. You know, we were together. Uh, we get to the orphans. We're together except they split us up, boys and girls. Uh, which again, the the youngest, my my baby sister at that time was probably four or five, and she had a rough time with it. But I had grown pretty well. My family's pretty tall, and uh, so I was one of the taller kids there. I was able to. Uh, Uh, travel around the playground uh, at the orphanage and make sure that all the bullies knew my family was off limits or they'd have to deal with me. (laughs) And uh, so I took care of that. And, of course, I also befriended the nuns because I'm already a miniature adult at this point. I've been in charge, you know, for quite some time. And um, uh, the other thing that I, I guess I skimmed over and you didn't was the fact that Mom was a huge Elvis fan. And one of the great things that we used to do before the divorce was I always volunteered to go get groceries with her because uh, back then they had the plastic vinyl albums that came out <laughs> and Elvis was doing his movies. And every week, it seemed, or every two weeks, there was a new Elvis album that was out. And man, I, it didn't take me any time at all to talk her into getting the newest one, you know.
0: Do you remember and, how much they cost back then?
2: Oh my goodness. (laughs) I I don't think they were a dollar or a dollar and a quarter or something. It wasn't much. Right. You could get 45s for 10 or 15 cents. You know, we, we shared this love of, of Elvis and music and it was the happy time, you know, Mm -hmm. no matter what Mm -hmm. was going on, you could throw Elvis on and everybody's happy, you know. Uh, but anyway, uh, we're we're in the orphanage, and uh, we were there for about a year. It was a fabulous place. A lot of loving people. Uh, the Knights of oh, Columbus would come. There were volunteers that would come. They brought us treats. You know, we got three square meals. Uh, it was just awesome. And uh, they had a, a summer villa that was on the other side of the county. And uh, they had horses and a swimming pool outside and you know soccer or not soccer but baseball field uh you know there was just tons of things to do for kids and it was it was just an adventure and it was very very pleasant most most of it um until uh they brought us in and announced that it was time for us to go to foster homes really now the six of us got split up uh mostly 2 by 2 uh I went off in a home at, uh, on my own at first uh, cuz I was the teenager And, um, the rest of them were paired up. My one brother got sick at the home he went to. So they sent him a foster home. So they sent him back to the orphanage uh, and he got healed and everything. And then, uh, my foster parents agreed to take him in so we Uh could be together. Uh, So we were together there. We were in those foster homes, maybe another year and a half or so. Um, and while we were there, uh, once mom had put us in a safe place, uh, she almost disappeared. I mean, we rarely saw her. Really? She didn't come to visitations. Well, she's now she's thirty years old in her prime, and she just got rid of six kids, right? So yeah. what are you going to do? It's time to partay, you know? And we were all pretty uh, disappointed, obviously, when she didn't show then we got wind that she moved out of town, had a new boyfriend, uh, uh, just, you know, just heartache after heartache. And uh, but we were in foster homes and we were at least around people that, you know, were doting on us, uh-huh. and, you know. Um, so uh, then I got wind that my sister and I want to name names, but one of my sisters was going to be adopted by her foster family. I was crushed what's going to happen i'm praying to god during all of this you know god help us what what you know I, I can see that the parents aren't going to come back together but help us you know and will i ever see my sister again was what i was thinking at the time of course and so i called up uh, the social worker the case worker and i'm complaining and i'm of course i'm the quote unquote head of the family here of of the kids anyway and i'm going you can't do this to us you know well, you know, you don't know what you're talking about, son, you know. And I said, Isn't there anything we can do? What can I do? You know? And um and she said, Well, hang in there, we'll we'll reach out to your dad and we'll let him know how upset you are, blah, blah, blah. Right. So in the meantime, because we weren't able to see the parents very often, I'm trying to solve a problem here. I'm not giving up. My brothers and sisters and I are gonna see each other mom and dad or no mom and dad. Right? right. And I guess, I guess there must be an unwritten rule someplace that foster parents don't gather with the kids, you know, cause they didn't. So I got a job as an ice cream push cart salesman pushing, going to the streets, ringing those goofy bells. Uh-huh. And I saved all my money one summer and I bought bikes for all my brothers and sisters oh we're my all, goodness we're all in the same city but we just you know we're not within walking distance you know because we're we're young especially the younger ones so i saved my money and i bought used bikes and we were able to to come and see each other so here's your first never give up don't take no for an answer i don't care if you're i was 15 at the time you that's know that's right and and you can make things happen i was fortunate to have foster parents that let me do that right and i was fortunate that the ice cream company let a 15 year old take their cart and their ice cream and their money you know uh, but i guess i had that air about me that people understood i was more mature for my age and i should have been and, and uh, apparently was trustworthy uh, so that worked out now Uh, Again, uh, going back to to uh, um, us being split up and the adoption, uh, praying to God, calling out, trying to get people to help. And the next thing I know, we get I get a call from the caseworker. My dad has repurchased the homestead.
0: Oh, my goodness.
2: It had been condemned and he's been working on it for weeks or months. And his goal is to reunite the family. Uh, s- nobody still knows where mom is. She's out of town someplace. And so dad was able to get my, my youngest brother and me out of our foster home first, uh, because I had the the skills and the wherewithal to help him as a, as a uh-huh. co- co-carpenter, co as it will, as it were. And, um, so we w- moved back in with dad. We helped fix up the rest of the house and uh, ultimately he got all six of us back. And oh my goodness. Things were going great, right? And I thought, man, this is awesome. And we have dad to ourselves. And, and uh, you know, one of our favorite times was to go shopping on Friday to get groceries when dad got paid. So he'd come home from work and we'd scour the cupboards and okay, we're missing this and what about that? It was fun, it was an adventure again, right? Uh-huh. And so uh, we did that for I don't know how many weeks uh, or months. And then all of a sudden, a caseworker shows up. These kids are alone with a 16-year-old, 15, 16-year-old brother. And uh, uh, this won't do. You got to get a nanny. So dad shows up with this nanny that he met at the Wonder Bar. (laughs) (laughs) Because... Dad was an alcoholic, if you couldn't tell from all the other previous stories, and he shows up with this nanny, nice, very nice lady, you know, well organized, and she knew how to take handle kids, and uh kitchen's off off uh, limits now, so that kind of bent my nose a little bit because I was chief cook and bottle washer, right, and so I got draw, and I understood, you know, there had to be some order, uh, but they wound up uh, uh, going out and drinking on Fridays together. Still leaving us a little bit of time together. Mm-hmm. And they wound up getting married. And it wasn't too long after they got married that the fight started up again. Oh, it my was word. just like just like nothing really changed. And she would argue with him and he would get mad. They did stay together for thirty years and in the course of that. Oh, 30 my years, word. Carol he broke her jaw three times oh. in years. And she wouldn't leave him. From there, we, uh, you know, when the when the fight started, I I just couldn't handle it. So uh, by this time, mom caught wind of what was going on. She moved back to town. She wanted her kids back all of a sudden. And uh, so we had the opportunity. When when the fights broke out at the homestead, I said, fine. I went to the caseworker. Yeah, so this is an unhealthy place. I need to get out of here. Okay, your mom's in town. You can go stay with your mom, right? So I went and stayed with my mom. Guess what? Mom's still partying. Come home from school. There's people in the house I never met before. Uh-huh. There's all kinds of stuff going on at all hours. So that wasn't working. So then I bounced back to Dad's, telling Dad, if if you're going to keep fighting, I'm not coming back. If you can keep it under control, I'll be back. And, of course, that kind of went over, like, <laughs> not really well, because who are you to tell me what to do? I'm your dad, you know. So But I had to go somewhere, you know. So we went back and forth, and what I did, usually my siblings followed and trickled right. I did it, and then another one came, and then another. one. We went back and forth a couple times. Finally, at 17 years old, I'm 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 at my wits' end. Actually, at 16 years old, I'm at my wits' end, um, and and I, I still have the strong desire to be a singer. I joined choir, you know, at, at high school, at school, and the greatest thing that my stepmom ever did for me. Was in the Christmas of 1968, she talked my dad into buying me uh, my first guitar, because of Ah. I wanted a guitar so bad, I made one out of a cigar box, a broom handle, and a rubber band. (laughs) Right? I'm gonna be like Elvis, right? And so they got me a guitar. Man, I was I was in it was in heaven. I ran down the street to my buddy's house. His dad was a um, one of those mariachi band guitar players. Right, right. And he agreed to teach me how to play guitar. My fingers like almost bled. I learned how to sing. The very first song I learned how to sing, Love Me Tender. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to be like Elvis. Before my voice changed, I'm going to be like Elvis. Sound sound like uh, Wayne Newton singing Elvis, but I'm going to be like Elvis. And uh, so I did do that. And so I started going to talent shows. I listened to the radio. They had talent shows around back then. And so my my dad, when he married the nanny, she had two girls living with her, two daughters. So now we went from six kids and two adults to eight kids and two adults. Even more chaos, right? So they went camping one weekend. I was working at Burger King. Uh, because, you know, all this time I knew I, I had the ice cream job. I liked having money. I like being able to pay for things and take care of myself if I needed to. So um, I was working at Burger King that weekend. I knew the talent show was going on and they wanted to go camping. And I said, no, nah, I don't want to go. And this time I'm, you know, 16 and a half. You know, I'm, I'm not quite 17 yet, but I'm old enough, right, to stay home by myself. So they said, you could stay home. Went to the talent show and I met some people there uh, from Cadillac, Michigan, 100 miles from Bay City where I was uh, living at the time. And um, I was singing like Elvis. They had a daughter that sang like Tammy Wynette. (laughs) And she had a good voice. She was good, good singer. And uh, after I did my songs, uh, the dad and the daughter were like, boom, all over me wow, you're good. And would you, I'm going to call my wife up in Cadillac. Would you sing Elvis to her? She loves Elvis. So I, I, of course I sang for everybody and anybody. I just love to sing. And uh, so I did. And uh, we got done with that. And he says, uh, well, what are you doing? You know, the rest of the weekend. And I said, well, I don't know. My parents are camping. I'm just kind of hanging out. Well, why don't you come to Cadillac with us? My wife would love to meet you you know and my daughter's here and you guys can maybe you can sing some songs together and i went okay (laughs) so i got in the car with them and we went up to cadillac and of course i told them my life story on the way and they're just shaking their heads a mother gave up six kids and this and then the dad marries an alcoholic and what is going on you know he says by the end of the weekend he goes well you can move in with us if you want you don't have to stay (laughs) in that mess and i went okay (laughs) so they drove me back from cadillac to the house and the parents weren't back yet with with the with the rest of the tribe i packed everything i owned in three grocery bags three paper grocery bags and moved to Cadillac, Michigan. I, I I wrote a note and I stuck it on that phone that had been torn off the wall so many times. I wrote a note and I put you've done enough, I'll take it from here. And I put the phone number down where I was just so he could reach me and not worry. But you've done enough, I'll take it from here. And and they drove me back up to Cadillac and that that was my new home.
0: That's amazing. I <laughs> I didn't expect that. Now, you have been an entertainer for 45 years, and you've yes. performed internationally, and we want to talk a little bit about that. But also, in your 20s, you were a senior project manager for several multi-state, multi-million dollar computer projects in corporate America. So tell yep. us a little bit of that transition period and yep. how you then juggled your career and... um Well, both careers, actually.
2: Graduated Cadillac and uh, set my sights on Detroit, Michigan. So I moved to Detroit to get discovered, uh, turning down a college scholarship, by the way, because I didn't need that. I was going to get discovered. Went to Detroit, uh, did get discovered uh, by a couple of people and uh, booking agents and uh, began doing what, what we affectionately call the animal circuit, the moose, the elks, the eagles, and met some more people and got some more uh, uh, contacts and was able to uh, meet a couple of pretty good uh, booking agents where they booked me at the International Freedom Festival over in Canada. I got booked up in Nova Scotia for the National Atlantic Exhibi- Exhibition, uh, booked me all over the the Midwest, uh, many, many, many states, uh, got connected with some uh, uh, television uh, guest performances uh, in you know in the tri- tri-state area here, uh, and it d- just did a lot of entertaining and really got to be well known, um, and uh, did some recording, uh, recorded some albums, uh, and and from there, um, when I first started singing, uh, you know, f- for professionally and, and met these agents. Uh, I wasn't working, uh, at corporate America at the time. I was just singing five and six days a week. And some of those singing performances were just me and the guitar and I would sing for five hours. And then I would get in my car and go to the next city and sing for a couple more hours all in the same day. (laughs) I became exhausted, Carol. I almost died. I don't know what it was from, pneumonia or whatever. Mm -hmm. And while I was laying there recovering, um, I had met someone and got married um, and she worked for the phone company in Michigan uh, and and I was able to entertain. Well, and I was making three times the money she was, but uh, there was no benefits. There was no health care. There was no retirement. I was just making money and entertaining. And when I got sick, guess what? No money. You don't right, sing, right. you don't eat. You don't sing, you don't eat. And so I thought about that and I thought, man, I, I just got married. It's like first year of marriage. I can't do this with, with kids and have a family like I want to do. So I, as I thought about that, I said, I got to get a better job. So I ultimately wound up at the phone company. I got into uh, outside work it to begin with, you know, the man, man job on the line, lineman. And then from there, uh, they saw my abilities and I, I, was encouraged to become a supervisor and study, uh, you know, go to college. So I did finally agree to go to college and they paid for it, which worked out pretty good. Um, and through that, I actually got into computers very early in the 1970s and learned came up the ladder from there into the computers to the point where I was one of the, the, the major analysts and uh, project coordinators for yeah. uh, a Michigan Bell multi-state uh, conversion uh, project that we did. And so I was one of the key players and communicators between the different cultures, and here we're all the phone company, but people in Ohio don't do the way of things people in Wisconsin don't do the way things do in Michigan. see <laughs> so we had to learn how to do all these things and work with people so that's how I got into that and and uh, uh, rose up through that all the while still entertaining on the side
0: but then you had another shift because you had a heart attack and open heart surgery. How did that affect your life?
2: I I got divorced uh, and remarried, and all that trauma and stress uh, was very taxing. My family history, unfortunately, uh, uh, you know, I have the genetics for bad arteries. Uh, Two of my dad's brothers died, uh, one of them in his 40s, just walking down the street. Boom, he fell over dead. Uh, from from a massive heart coronary. Um, And my dad also, uh, later in life, uh, went out in the backyard to move a ladder and never came back. So uh, this was very traumatizing. Uh, I I adjusted my diet. I I was in pretty healthy shape. I mean, you got to imagine, uh, doing all those things and entertaining when I did Elvis, I did the whole thing. I had the jumpsuits, I did the dancing, I, you know I did everything uh-huh. so I was I was physically in good shape you know uh, and, and everything but my arteries were a disaster and I had high cholesterol from my 20s, uh, tried to get it under control, um, took a vegetarian diet for a long time. but between the stress of the job, the stress of the the, the divorce, And uh, everything else I was going through, Uh, I did wind up having an angina attack in 1998, which um, exposed the fact that I had blockages. Um, Four months later, I had uh, double bypass open heart surgery. Um, And then uh, right just before that, my dad died. Uh, you know, the month before that is when my dad died. So that was more stress. Uh-huh. Of so, yeah, so it changes your life. It makes you reexamine. I certainly looked at what am I doing? What can I do better? <laughs> you know, why am I still here? Uh, was was a big part of it. And what, you know, what, what should I do with the rest of my life? And part of that, uh, God opened up to me as I called out to him. And he said, I'm going to give you some new music, but it's not for you to get famous. It's not for you to get rich off. He said, this is to help people. And so I wrote many songs. I heard them and wrote them down. I, I don't even take credit for writing the songs. I just wrote them down. No. And the keynote song is one called, I Hear an Angel Whispering. Mm. and And uh, it has consoled so many people. I sold it on my Elvis shows, and it outsold my other music <laughs> you know really Oh yes, people loved it and it's it's online, so you can hear it and it's in my book. Uh, the e version uh, has a link to it directly. Uh, the paperback has the information on the back uh you know the bibliography area has the the link to it so you can get to it so
0: and then you had another blow. If I am reading this correctly, this came after when your wife left you and you lost your job?
2: Yes. Yes. How uh, did
0: you deal with that and turn that uh, around?
2: Very depressing. Very, it was very lonely, very depressing. The kids opted to stay with their mom. Uh, But I stayed nearby. I wasn't going to let them go through what I went through. So I was very involved. I met them at school every week for lunch. I got involved with their after school programs. Uh, we did things together. we did a lot of things together so i I just persevered you know and I charged th- through it and 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 I, again i wasn't i didn 't want a divorce i didn 't want my kids to go through that. I had a phobia about that and yet wound up going through it anyway. But, you know, I handled them with kit gloves and did everything I could to, to protect them and, you know, left, left them in the property and, you know, made sure they had everything they needed. And if they didn't, I told them to call me, you know, so.
0: And you were stronger for it and so were they. Absolutely. absolutely. Now, you're an author what, and also a virtual
2: mentor. So share a little bit about that the open heart surgery that i had i was 45 years old when that occurred Um, and going through my life getting remarried and having some more issues uh, i ultimately had a heart attack at 59 years old Um, and things were going very well for me at that time i was very successful in the computer very I was retiring out of the music because I was getting the age where you just can't do Elvis anymore at least not the way I wanted to with my passion but <laughs> uh, but but after that heart attack I literally uh, I had probably 6 or 8 uh heart catheterization surgeries to place stents Uh, in various places around my body and my heart. I was declared totally disabled. My cardiologist said, even if you feel like you can go back to work, if you do, you will die. Your body can't take it. Your arteries can't take it. Your system can't take it. You're done. You can't travel. You can't perform anymore. You can't work. You're done. You're retired. 59 and a half years old. And so, again, major depression, feeling alone, two and a half years in recovery, I had uh, damaged about 30% of my heart. And so I don't have stamina, I don't have energy, and I'm sitting there for two and a half years. Now what? You know, God, how can I still be of use in this life? Right? And so I remember doing some of those concerts that I had done a few years earlier for some boys' homes, because I went to give it back, right, pay it forward. And uh, I performed at some boys' homes, and the director was so thrilled that somebody like me, who was where they were and came back to try and help encourage others, he said, Danny, you're so encouraging. These boys are encouraged because they yeah. could see somebody like them could become like you. The counselors are encouraged because they know some of them can make it. And, and he said, the whole organization is is encouraged by you. Your story needs to be heard. And he told me that (laughs) almost five, six years before I had my heart attack. So while I'm sitting on the couch, his words just kept haunting me. Your story needs to be told. People need to hear your story. And so I wrote it down. I wrote the book, My Journey in the Shadow of the King. And how did you become a mentor? Throughout uh, promoting that book over the last year and a half, because it's been almost two years now uh, that I wrote that, Uh, I began to realize that not only did the story need to be heard and just writing it wasn't enough, I needed to reach out and get to some of these organizations. So I literally got back in touch with that director from Bay City, uh, Lutheran Boys Home. Uh, His name's Gordon Gordy. And I told him what I was doing. He encouraged me. He he proofread my book for me. He wrote the foreword. And so I got back in touch with that organization in that whole sector that he said they need to hear your story and it was just a natural fit i need to get in touch with more of these kinds of people and share my story So that's what I've been doing, and as I've done that, one thing's led to another and to another, to these podcasts that you've invited me to. Thank you again. And I also discovered that there's homeless people out there that need these encouraging words. And there's other people around the world that that your audience uh, belongs to that just plain old are discouraged, and they're running into brick walls, or they've had the rug pulled out from underneath them, and they need to hear, it's okay. Life's a journey. This is just the next stop. That's funny. I was going to ask
0: you to summarize and you just did because you put it in total perspective from where you came to where you are to where you're going and who is on that journey with you, who has learned from you. And we are part of that audience today where we have learned from you and that every time I hear one of these stories and it definitely, you know, makes me tear up and choke up and yet on the other hand i know the end of the story it's okay and what you have learned and can share that's what this show is all about what you can share with others to let them know as you just summarized, it's okay it's going to be okay you're going to survive look what i went through look where i i've been look where i'm going and i believe that that is your message. Is there anything else in closing that you want to share along those
2: lines? Don't leave God out of it. Bring him along with you. He was with me. My book details so much more and all the ways that that I can look back now and see that there was intervention. God intervened. He brought people alongside of me. Don't just try to go it alone. Reach out to others that, that can help you. Find people that are successful and if you're trying to learn how to do something, go find someone that's doing it. If, if, you're, if you're just totally devastated and alone, God is there. He's waiting for you to reach out to him and call him. Do that. And Carol, it's just been awesome. I, I hope that uh, people are encouraged. And if you are discouraged, hang in there. It does get better.
0: I totally agree 100% with everything you said and yes we definitely will have all your contact information on your web page and people will be able to get your book there and to read about you and to email you and follow you and again thank you so much Danny Van for being on Never Ever Give
2: Up Hope. It's been my pleasure thank you.